You're listening to Change the World, the podcast for Jewish nonprofit leaders. I'm your host, Sivya Kohn. Hi, everybody. Thank you for joining me today. I am here with Keshet Starr, who is the CEO of Ora, And I'm really, really excited because I think probably since I launched my first podcast, I've been hearing from so many people, you must interview Keshet. You must, you must. And we finally made it happen. I'm so excited, Kesha. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited. So let's dive in. Can you tell me a little bit about your background and a little bit about how you got into the nonprofit space? Absolutely. I am very much an accidental nonprofit leader in that I am trained as a lawyer and I went to law school interested in family law, social justice, not sure if I wanted to really make my career in that. I ended up getting really interested in domestic abuse work and then domestic abuse in the Orthodox community. And that along a winding road led me to nonprofit work. So didn't take necessarily the direct path, but really feel fortunate to do this work. Wow. So yeah, that that is, I mean, a lot of people fell into it, but I don't think I've ever spoken to the lawyer, to nonprofit angle. That's really interesting. So how did you get involved in Aura specifically? So I got really interested in working with domestic abuse survivors in the Orthodox community. And initially, I thought I would be a litigator and I would represent women in matrimonial cases, custody cases. That was my plan. And then the economy collapsed. I graduated in 2010. So the market for legal work was really crazy. And I happened to hear about Aura, which was a very small startup at the time, because I was finding in the internships I was doing on the civil law side that so much of the strategizing to help from survivors of abuse was really around the get. We're going to file the case in this way so we can trade it for the get. We're going to suggest this so that we can negotiate for the get. So when I heard about Aura and I heard they were looking for a new role, and I figured this is such a great opportunity to learn more about the get piece, and then I'll have this extra skill set when I go back to being a litigator, which did not end up happening. But that is really how I initially found the organization. Wow. So what services does Aura provide? So our goal, big picture wise, is to take abuse out of Jewish divorce. And we do that by really intervening in cases and also doing community work. And we get involved at different points on the spectrum. So we have an advocacy team that helps mostly women, a few men, but people who are trying to get their Jewish divorce and aren't able to. And that could include really public things like demonstrations or social media campaigns, or it could be much more behind the scenes. We are very focused on doing work that's trauma-informed and survivor-centered. So it's not that you come in and we tell you what's what. We work with you to figure out what matters most to you. What are you most afraid of? What are the considerations you're balancing? And let's come up with a strategy that really honors all of those pieces. And we also have a Jewish divorce helpline where people can call us if they're thinking about divorce or just getting started. And it's such an overwhelming process, especially when you're trying to manage the Jewish piece and the civil piece. So we really help integrate the two. 
We also do a lot of educational work. We want to change the way our community thinks about get refusal, to understand that it's a form of abuse, and to just think in a more mature and healthy way about relationships and dating and marriage and the goal being healthy relationships, not marriage at all costs. So we have programs that we run for high school students in universities, in communities where Depending on the audience, the message is different. It has to be age appropriate, as certainly for students. But the goal is really empowering. We don't want to come in and say, you know, everything's terrible. Let's talk about this awful issue. We present the issue and then we present the interventions and the things that people can do to be part of a change. We're huge advocates for halakhic prenuptial agreements as a prospective tool. And really, we like to think very big picture. Where is the system broken? And what can we do in the long term to change it so that we don't have the same problems coming down the pike over and over again? Wow. That is incredible. So first of all, thank you so much for what you're doing for the community. I had no idea about the scope of all of this. And that's absolutely incredible, especially the the prevention and the education and the advocacy. Those are so huge because I assume like, you know, the, the situations that you come in when they're already in crisis, there's already so much heartbreak and so much trauma that whatever you can prevent ahead of time is just incredible. So first of all, thank you for that. Um, thank you. I want to like get into a little bit about your role. I assume that when you joined Aura, originally your role was a little bit different than it is now. And in some ways, I've sat in many of the seats in that when I started, I was the first full-time case advocate. So I was working with Agunod. I was speaking with get refusers for many hours a day. And I was also building out the program. I created case files on my first day. And that was my first project. And really thinking, how do we make this into a structured, organized program? And over time, as the advocacy program grew, we hired more staff. I shifted into more of a team leadership role. And then afterwards, I shifted into more of an organizational leadership role. And I started doing more writing and public speaking. And then about five years ago, I became CEO. So that was a real crash course in fundraising and governance and all of the components of nonprofit work that I wasn't trained to do. And so I've really sat in different seats and I've been able, I know what it's like to do the work on the ground. And I've also been able to step back and really learn to think more strategically, more big picture as my roles have evolved. So I want to like deviate away from the conversation to just remark on your overall attitude and enthusiasm for, it must be so heavy, the work that you do. And I just, I feel like I need to comment on that. Is there like, have you worked on that? Is that something that comes very natural to you to to be able to approach such a, like a potentially devastating area with joy? Because I am like struck by it. I really appreciate that. I do work at it. I think that this is a heavy topic and there are no easy solutions. And if someone thinks they have an easy solution, usually they haven't spent a lot of time on it because there are just so many layers of challenges. And there is a real risk to getting stuck in that and to just feel like, oh, it's just hopeless. And when people are coming to you for help, that's not helpful to them to get that hopelessness. And so part of what I try to do is I think a lot about boundaries and time and having a full life outside of work, which is not simple when you have a demanding job, but that's very important to me. And also really focusing on 
the challenge, but also the good things. I make a real effort to go to weddings of former Aguno to meet them. If I'm in their city for an event, you know, let's get together, let's have coffee and being able to see what people are like at the end of this process and the incredible things that they do afterwards. That gives me a lot of encouragement. I really love that perspective. And I think especially now, almost probably everyone listening to this has been affected in some way by October 7th. And it's it's just heavy. It's heavy all around. And that's a really refreshing perspective of, of kind of seeing the end of the road instead of the, the middle of it. So, wow, I, I, I have a lot of admiration for it. So the question that popped into my mind as you're speaking, especially about the advocacy piece and the education piece, if you zoom out, what progress, I, I mean, I, I'm assuming communally you've seen progress. What progress can you share from, I guess, when you started as a smaller organization to now that you're doing all of these services, what it looks like now? So the two biggest shifts I've noticed are really culture shifts. One is in terms of halakhic prenups. They have really gone from being something pretty out there that only activists would do. I got married in 2008. I didn't know about a halakhic prenup and I was doing domestic abuse work at the time. Wow. And so I have a postnup, don't worry. But I, it wasn't on my radar when I got married. And now it's so normative, certainly in the modern Orthodox community, that Modern Orthodox rabbis will not marry you without it. And it's really making inroads in the yeshivish community as well. So just the sense of this is a crazy thing that only super invested people do to this is a normal thing that most people do when they get married has been a huge shift. And I think also understanding get refusal as a form of abuse. We used to spend a lot of time on social media explaining that to people and kind of getting into conversations. And now if you go on any Jewish woman talk about anything or any one of those groups, you mentioned get refusal. Everyone's like, it's a form of domestic abuse. And that was not a concept that everyone just bought in the beginning. It really took consistent messaging to bring that into everyone's awareness. And now I think it's very much part of the community fabric to understand that those pieces are connected. Now, fully understanding abuse and what it looks like and non-physical abuse, there is a tremendous amount of work to be done. But that doesn't mean that we haven't come very far from where we were 10 years ago or 20 years ago. Yeah, I get that. I, I hear a lot from organizations how they have kind of like two tiers of challenges where there's the one challenge of like breaking the stigma, educating, getting people to understand the issue. And then they have to then start proposing their solution and say that it's something to take seriously. And that's like really two major, major steps. So if you kind of cross over one hurdle, I think that's that's pretty huge. So you Definitely. mentioned social media. Would you say social media has had a big role in like this step for you? Absolutely. I would say the Agronaut issue has had a lot of airtime on social media over the past three years or so. But really all along, the social media has its downsides. The downside is that in some ways, the more something goes viral, the less controllable it is. And you run the risk of making the get refuser feel that there is no opportunity of reintegration. And that's not always strategically helpful, even if that's not who you want to hang out with on a Saturday night. But the upside is that social media reaches everywhere. And just the fact that you type someone's name into Google and articles and posts come up related to domestic abuse, that impacts them. And it's certainly made a difference, especially in situations where the get refuser is not part of an Orthodox community and the community pressure isn't really a factor. It allows you to just 
reach much further geographically and in different social networks to really keep that pressure up. Yeah. Wow. Okay. That's amazing. So I'm sure that it's never been easy. Did you face any unexpected challenges along the way? Something that you may not have anticipated when trying to grow the organization? I would say it's interesting because personality wise, I very much like to get along with people. I'm very collaborative. And I also it was an really feel to get it. <laughs> yes. I'm not trying to it. And I also am very passionate about things that I think are unfair or wrong. But definitely being the face of an organization that does advocacy work, you deal with a lot of hatred and attacks on the other side that I don't. I probably should have expected, but I don't know that I fully understood how much that would be part of my life going into it. I think I've been able to integrate it and handle it better than I probably would have guessed I would. But that is definitely a piece of advocacy work that I think having a collaborative and relationship-centered approach to this work is critical. And it means that there's attention because when you're out there standing for something, if there's no one standing against it, there's probably not much point in you existing. So you have to be ready to really go toe-to-toe with people who disagree with you very passionately. Would you share a couple of like the strategies you've used to help yourself with that? Because that does sound pretty intense. I will say that. Definitely very intense. I think part of it, and I think this is true of resilience in general, once you've been through something, you know that you can get through it. So the first time I was sued personally, I was so stressed out, you know, got certain papers that went, oh, you know, I was freaking out. And then I got sued personally again a couple months ago. And I'm like, okay, like, I know how this works. I can do this. And so part of it is just going through things, getting to the other end and realizing that you can. And also using it as a reminder that this is why we do what we do. It definitely helps build empathy for the people we're helping who are often the subjects of just relentless litigation and harassment. So I have a taste of what that feels like. That helps me connect and understand and really feel an urgency to help people. And I think so much of it is having a whole life outside of your work. So it's not the only thing. It's a big thing. And if you let it, it can be every one of the 24 hours you have in your day. So really being intentional about carving out space outside of it has been huge. And I don't think I've been in the field for about 15 years. I don't think I would have been able to do that if I wasn't so intentional about carving out space and having boundaries. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I think that probably could apply to almost every field and almost every industry. But again, I have a lot of admiration for what you're doing. And I I feel like I'm maybe like poking. So tell me if I should like stop poking, but very curious because I know from working in the Jewish, especially more orthodox nonprofit space, it is heavily male dominated. So I would love to know a little bit about your experience as being a female CEO, um, which I think is a pretty rare breed. (laughs) So what has that been like for you? So interesting you say that because a lot of my experience initially in casework has been in an even more male-dominated setting that I've represented women in Beeston. I've spent a lot of time in different Bate Den where it's absolutely all men and me. And so I have a lot of experience in that. There are definitely moments where it can be challenging or situations where are you going to speak at this event or are you not? Or a classic one I run into is that I do scholars and residents in communities. 
and the politics of when they're comfortable with a woman speaking and how are really different. And sometimes you end up speaking from the women's section. And of course, there's no microphone because it's Shabbos. So you're trying to oh, project God. across the sanctuary, you know. So it, it it's interesting. It comes with challenges. And it has its its downsides, of course, but I think that because the issue we work on is really about women's empowerment and equity and safety, being female-led is really important to us and it makes a difference. And I'm also proud in some ways to be part of that, that breed, but that I, I think that our community is better when we have women in leadership, in leadership roles and women at the table making decisions. And it matters to me that that happens. And you can't just hope that someone else does it if you're not willing to do it. Yes. Yes. I, I could not agree with that more. Do you have any um, favorite or very memorable stories to share from, from your time with the organization? There are so many that come to mind. But I would say one that I'm especially thinking of is a situation that in some ways isn't the most sort of flashy or unusual. And someone who went through a, a just a messy, complicated divorce that took several years that got to the other end that for a lot of reasons was never public and that wasn't something that the Agunau was interested in. But what meant so much to me about that case, and I'm still in very regular contact with this woman and I was able to dance at her wedding um, to her current husband who she's very happy with. And it's just how much it matters when we're going through these scary and vulnerable moments in our lives to just have someone like in the pit there with you. That even when you think you're not doing anything, and I remember being in the trenches of this case and just being so frustrated you know, the delays and this and how are we going to handle this and how are we going to strategize that. But that in retrospect, once it wrapped up, I realized that was the difference. That's what we were able to offer. And even when... It isn't a situation where you have the ability to go in with all the guns blazing and do, we don't use guns, but do anything super dramatic. Metaphorically. That's not always what people need or want, actually, but that when people are suffering, especially for an issue like this that's awkward and complicated and brings up tricky questions of faith and all these pieces, when someone is willing to get there in the mud with you, that's what matters the most. Yeah. And I'm sure there are so many people who can say that you made a huge difference in their lives. So, wow, it's really inspirational. Is there any yeah. advice that you would want to give the listeners of this podcast are primarily in the nonprofit space leaders or working for or volunteering for nonprofits? And it sounds like you've had a lot of experience handling some pretty tough things. Is there any advice you would want to share from your experiences? The main advice I would say, and not to keep hammering on the same point, but it's really that element of being intentional about what you want to have in your life and making space for it. So joy doesn't just happen. You have to make space for it. You have to think about what brings you joy and find ways to do that. And in my case, because I work on an issue that doesn't put the Jewish community in the best light all the time, having spiritual connections and spiritual joy is a really important thing to me and something I make space for. And so the biggest thing I would tell anyone in nonprofit work is that whatever it is you're trying to do, if it's a real problem, it's not easily solved. You see the wins in the long term, but you don't always get to see them in the short term. And the work is hard. And for many of us, the people we're dealing with day to day are 
under stress, dealing with trauma, that can create a lot of tension and challenges. And so to create a space for yourself in your life that's joyful and fulfilling and that isn't trauma-focused, it is really, I see it as part of my job. If I want to stay in this role and do it well, then I have to create that space and I have to tap into that joy. And it's so tempting not to because there's so much to do. But that's the biggest thing I, I always suggest is to create those pockets of time and space for you to recharge and for you to do the things that really make you happy because you do better work from that place. Yes, I really that makes so much sense. That's that's really, really solid advice. So if anybody's listening and wants to get in touch with you, reach out to you, any questions about your work or anything else, um, what would be the best way for them to do that? So anyone can catch me on email. I'm kstar with two R's at getora.org. Our website is www.getora.org. And I'm also on social media at Star. So anyone's welcome to connect with me on any of those platforms. And I always am super happy to help in whatever way I can. Thank you so much. So before we wrap up, I always like to try to like summarize the episode in a sentence or two. Um, in one sentence, what would be the main takeaway you would want someone listening to get from this episode? It's that work that matters is hard. To accept that, lean into that, and give yourself the strength to keep doing it. I love it. Thank you so much, Kasha, for being here. This was really, really great. Thank you so much for having me and for the great work that you're doing. My pleasure. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Change the World podcast. If you have any feedback or an idea for my next episode, or if you're a nonprofit leader interested in learning more about how 14 Minds can help your nonprofit, I'd love to hear from you. Just send an email to tsivia at 14minds.com. For more nonprofit content, follow me on LinkedIn or visit 14minds.com. Mm-hmm.